2: and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
1: Hello dear listener and welcome to Owning at the Anxiety Podcast. Do you struggle with perfectionism? Do you really understand the science around it? I, for one, didn't. Are you more of a socially prescribed perfectionist or a self-oriented perfectionist? And what does that even mean? In this episode with Professor of Psychology at the London School of Economics and TED Talker, Tom Kern, we get really granular on the subject of perfectionism. The latest research, whether it differs across genders, and most importantly, how we can manage our tendency towards perfectionism, which of course, can result in higher levels of daily anxiety. If you're loving the series, can you do me a massive favor? It just helps so much when my listeners actually make the effort to click the subscribe button. I would really appreciate it if you could do this. Also, I have set up a stub stack which is entirely reader funded and really helps to keep this podcast going. I'm writing about anxiety, obviously, and confidence and the fear of failure, public speaking, that kind of thing, and parenting careers and lots more. You can join me there at carolineforn.substack.com forward slash subscribe and get a little bit more than you do with this podcast. For now, let me introduce you to Tom. When I was watching your TED talk, I did I pick up on like a slight Irish accent, or am I totally imagining that?
3: My dad's Irish. Oh, there we go. Uh, There you go. So that's uh, that's the Irish connection. But I I mean, my I've been all over the place. My accent is an amalgamation of quite a few different uh, places, and one of the beauties of that is that no one can place me. So very well done for detecting the Irish.
1: Yeah, I'm proud of that one. I think it must just be in our blood that we can hear. We can hear our kind wherever we go. so yeah thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to talk about perfectionism. It's a subject that comes up again and again as it's such a massive driver of anxiety and obviously the nature of this podcast is to help people, you know, better navigate the anxiety that they feel and and sometimes like perfectionism it might not be the source of like, you know, your major strife. You know, there might be other lifestyle things going on such as a really tough work environment or a relationship or any number of reasons, but perfectionism I find can just sort of be that top layer that seems like innocuous, but actually can chip away. And for me anyway, can really start to just give you this daily hum of background anxiety. Um, So I'm excited to get just stuck into it all with you. I'd love first if you could tell my listeners. So in in the bio, it describes you as like the foremost world expert on perfectionism. Can you tell me how you wound up becoming or being at this point in your life as an expert?
3: Well, that's the cell job. Yeah. Um, I myself <laughs> not sure about that. There are many, many, uh, researchers in this area and I certainly stand on the shoulders, shoulders of giants when it comes to, um, the perfectionism area. But at the moment, I guess you would say a lot of the work that I've done has reached prominence on the back of, um, some big studies, studies that find that perfectionism is increasing over time. Perfectionism is very much sort of the modern, uh, zeitgeist. How did I get there? Oh gosh. Well, um, Long story short, very lucky. Uh, a lot of hard work, obviously, but um, I grew up in a working class background. Uh, didn't necessarily see myself as going to university, never mind being an academic, but managed to get good grades. Came through when kids like me were supported to go to university, various grants and whatnot. So I thought, why not? Uh, I met the right people at the right time. Uh, I was invited to do a PhD. Uh, and, and that's really where I started to take off in terms of my academic career and one of the things I was really interested in as I got into the academic system became very competitive and like you just mentioned there had a lot of background anxiety about whether I'm good enough or whether I'm working hard enough and all the rest of it was that perfectionism was really something that's impacting my uh, psychological well-being and I saw it all around me too like it wasn't just me it was everyone else so I was kind of yeah I mean that was, that was the impetus really to go okay well let's have a look at this a little bit deeper let's see what's happening here and is this something that's holding us back and is this something that perhaps is the this is the new zeitgeist and and uh and that's where we are
1: it's like, congratulations for uh getting the PhD I um, it's it's so interesting and fascinating to be able to dive into a subject that you're passionate about especially when you can bring your own personal experience to it as well and um, for me I mean I feel like with this podcast I get sent a lot of books and things about perfectionism or people pleasing that kind of thing and I'm just curious for you what did you feel was not explored or what did you come across in your study that you thought we hadn't really uncovered yet because I think we're all kind of familiar with the idea of you know that perfectionism is not our friend even though well I know you you say as well we a lot of us kind of hold it up as this this badge of honor but what did you want to or what did you uncover that you found kind of was a little bit different
3: yeah, I think there's there's not there's numerous kind of uh, myths around perfectionism in, in in modern culture. And conventional wisdom says that perfectionism is a necessary evil. So th- this idea that okay, we know at some level it holds us back. There's there's some emotional baggage, um, and it's not very good for our psychological well being. I think everyone kind of accepts that. But then at the same time, we live in a world that demands perfection and kind of well, not kind of rewards the overachiever. And so there's a part of the perfectionism that a lot of people look to and almost lionize. Say, so actually, you know what, you got to get through the pain. You got to you got to suffer and, and work in discomfort if you want to achieve anything in this world. And really for me, the biggest the biggest thing that I, I want to do with both in the book and my own research is to bust that myth once and for all. Because when you look at the data, you don't see any relationship to perfectionism and performance at all. And that's really curious. And a lot of people scratch their heads at that finding, but it actually makes sense when you delve a little bit deeper into what perfectionism actually is, starting from, you know, what, what, you know, it's a deficit form of deficit thinking where we're not good enough and we feel like we have to please people all the time.
1: Okay. So let's, let's start, let's go, let's just start at the definition then. I mean, I think people think that they understand it. What for you is that it's most basic um, explanation, I suppose, of what, how you define perfectionism.
3: Yeah. It's that deficit thinking. This is this idea that, in order to be worth something in order to matter, I have to be perfect Uh, because if I'm not, people are going to see, they're going to judge me. They're going to let me know. Mm -hmm. And that will unveil to the world, this imperfect, flawed person that I, that deep down, I know I am That I'm burying. Um, And that's really hard. That's a really challenging way to live because if you live in service of other people's approval all the time, you're going to try and be perfect to get that approval. But of course, perfection is an impossible goal so we often fall short we often fail we have to hitch setbacks and shortcomings so we feel bad about ourselves self-esteem plummets um and we overcompensate. perfectionists do this all the time overcompensate to try to make up for the uh, setback or failure that we just encountered but of course now our goals are even higher so we're not going to meet them again and you so begins this this very negative spiral mm-hmm. um and that's and, and really at root that's that's what perfectionism is um and, and that's what being it's not
1: being needing to know that we are good enough
3: exactly yeah just trying at all times to prove to everyone and all around us that we are enough
1: did you notice in your research is is it in any way imbalanced in either gender like is it more of female tendency or is it a big issue for men for men as well or or is it even more so for men
3: this is a really good question i get it a lot i mean the we try to do a lot of work to differentiate whether or to find out whether perfectionist levels can be differentiated across genders and that and there's been so many studies now and what's really interesting is that there's no consistent finding levels tend to be more or less the same mm-hmm. um which surprises some people surprised our group actually but again you know it's one of those things where I think what's happening here is that when it comes to actual levels of perfectionism, there seems to be some consistency, but when you look outside in, in the world and, and understand that perfectionism isn't just about mean levels, but it's also about cultures and environments that we we put us we, we, we exist in, that there's an interaction going on here and it is quite possible that even though mean levels are the same, there are societal expectations for perfection that weigh a lot heavier on um, girls and females more so than they do on on males there's there's certainly that conversation to be had and and there's all sorts of areas of life where it's evident particularly um in the appearance domain uh where you could argue that these things are uh, these pressures are much weightier when it comes to girls and females
1: Mm -hmm. yeah so there's i guess there's a lot of venn diagrams where there's like cultural influences and and everything like that um what did your studies involve how did you gather this information that first perfectionism was a problem that it was a problem that it was becoming more of a problem and what the impact what what, what was happening to us as a result of this widespread perfectionism
3: yeah there's there's so, so many ways you can go about it the most common ways to look at just a straightforward questionnaire so we measure perfectionism on a it's called a like at scale. And by the way, that that is how perfection is. We consider perfection to be a spectrum. So some will be higher, some will be lower. Most people will be in the middle. Um, and what we're interested to know is, well, can we use those perfection measures to explain variability in some outcomes like anxiety, depression, performance, and all the rest of it? And when you do that, you find relationships between those things, high relationships between perfectionism and mental health Um Uh, outcomes but also negligible to no relationship to performance as as we just mentioned uh but also you can use that that spectrum in a very interesting way too so not only can we get an idea of the correlations with outcomes but we can also find out whether it's changing over time because what you have essentially is a um is a distribution a distribution of perfectionism as a mean and standard deviation and what we find when we string out all the data that we can possibly find across many 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 decades is that it's that middle part of the distribution the mean that seems to be moving upwards and that's how we can tell that perfectionism seems to be getting more um per- pervasive among young people because they seem to be reporting higher average levels of perfectionism uh, over time uh and so there's many ways we can explore these things but those are the two main ones
1: and is there a particular age group then that you're looking at
3: yeah, so this is young people, college students, because college students have some very similar characteristics across generations. So we can, can, can okay. keep, hold hold those things constant while looking at mean changes.
1: And even though it mightn't have been part of your research, it just as as having studied it so so much yourself, is it? Do you think perfectionism, like tapers off over time as we get older? We kind of calm down a bit and we realize we don't want the the phrase I heard, um, which I love: "Don't let the perfect get in the way of the good."
3: Yeah, we don't know because there's not many life course studies that have tracked perfectionism over many, many people across their whole lives, uh, which is a shame because that would be a really interesting thing to know. What we do know is that most personality characteristics are fairly stable over time. Okay. However, interestingly, neuroticism tends to ameliorate with time. Which is uh, an interesting finding because neuroticism is quite closely linked to perfectionism. However, the few studies that we do have looked at perfectionism at early life and then more uh, sort of symptoms of perfectionism at later life. And what we tend to see is actually something interesting happens with perfection, doesn't happen with neuroticism, is that perfectionist people tend to get more irritable, uh, more anxious as they age. Uh, and and that I think is because of this reinforcing nature of perfectionism. You know, this kind of cyclical nature where the high high goals lead to more failure, lower self esteem, overcompensation, and all the rest of it. So we don't know. There's no definitive answer to this, but we think perfectionism might actually get worse of the age rather than better, which is a bit of a concern.
1: Oh, we'll cut that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you differentiate between? when you talk about perfectionism there, it's sort of internal, like I need to do a good job. I I need this podcast to be perfect. I need to, you know, whatever versus I'm, like you mentioned irritable, like I'm, my environment is not perfect here. I don't think this other person has done a good enough job, like how, holding other people, I guess, to perfectionist standards or this. um, Yeah. So like, it, it, is there, is it all, is that all encompassed or is there like this internal and there's external or, or how do you, how do you explain that?
3: Yeah, this is really a a, a good observation. And actually, when we talk to perfectionist people do exactly what they tell us. That perfectionism isn't just something that comes from within us, even though perfectionist people feel a high degree of um, self-imposed pressure to be perfect. It also comes from the outside too. So so perfectionist people often say, not only do I want to be perfect, but also everybody expects me to be perfect. Like everybody and all around me is watching and they're ready to pounce when I haven't been perfect. So I've got to hold high standards all the time. This is called socially prescribed perfectionism. Socially
1: prescribed um, perfectionism, okay.
3: Socially prescribed coming from outside. But it's not just... Uh, the, the pressures that we feel are imposed on us from outside, but also we also impose pressures on other people too. So if I expect you to be perfect and nothing but perfect, and those are my standards that I hold for you, that's called other-oriented perfectionism. So this is kind of what Freud would call projection. I'm projecting my own high self-set standards onto you. So these self-oriented perfectionism, high self-oriented, uh, self-set perfectionism coming from within, as we mentioned socially prescribed feeling like it's coming from outside and other oriented imposing perfectionism on, on onto other people these are the three core dimensions of perfection we understand to be this kind of broad perfectionistic um personality um and so you're absolutely right it's not just personal it's also social
1: so could someone be not um what was the word for when it's internal
3: self-oriented yeah.
1: So, could someone not be self-oriented but like grow up in a family where it's socially prescribed to them and then just sort of inherit that or feel anxiety because that's not their nature but they're having to live up to this standard and um, mm. i know we're, we're getting super complex here a lot of uh, a lot of webs crossing over here um but is that something you've observed as well
3: Not at all. This is exactly the great, the most interesting about perfectionism. There's no one size fits all. Mm -hmm. So on these various spectrums of perfectionism, you could be really high on social but low on self, and maybe in the middle of other, and that's your particular constellation. Or you could be low on social, really high on self, and in the middle of other again. Like this is everybody would have their own uh, have slice somewhere on their own spectrums of perfectionism, and, and and there's no kind of one. This is what perfectionists look like. There's all sorts of many different flavors of perfectionism.
1: And when you were saying it was kind of mostly questionnaire-based, like what if someone's listening to this thinking, oh, I don't know if maybe I do have perfectionist tendencies, or I thought it was a good thing. What what kind of questions could someone ask of themselves to get a sense of whether it's maybe more maladaptive than doing them a favor?
3: Um, well, there's many different tools out there that you can Google. In in my book, The Perfection Tribe, you have a um a, a a sort of um example test a battery of okay. questions that we typically ask i want to encourage people to do with this exercise at all times is not to try and put a score on it even though we researchers then
1: they're being perfectionists <laughs> <laughs> yeah
3: even though we researchers have to deal with means and averages and all the rest uh, means and standard deviations and all the rest of it it's important that you don't because I think what the most important thing is to think about those questions that we ask. So, for instance, one of the questions for self-oriented is is I strive to be perfect. One of the questions for other oriented um, is that I expect other people to be perfect. And one of the examples for socially prescribed is everyone around me expects me to be perfect. Now, the important thing to do is think about these items. Just think about in your mind and to what extent you agree with them. So some people agree really strongly, like, yeah, that's me. Other people would be, no, I don't do that at all. I disagree with that statement. And some will be more or less in the middle. You know, sometimes yes, sometimes no. It, you know, so this is the important thing to think about. Not necessarily I'm a four on this, but actually, you know, do I agree or disagree with this statement? And, and you know, over multiple statements, you can begin to get a picture in your mind as to whether you're a particularly perfectionistic person, not a perfectionist, but a particularly perfectionistic person. And that's the, that's the, well, there's no such thing as perfectionists and non-perfectionists. We're all on the spectrum. Some will be more perfectionistic than others, some will be less perfectionistic than others, but everybody has a little uh, insert some level will have a degree of intolerance for you know imperfect performances or outcomes or whatever it might be. Like every basically everybody has a certain standard, you know. It wouldn't be the case that you would score absolutely nothing on each of these items. But at the same time, it wouldn't be the case that you'd score really high on all of them either. That would be a very extreme case. We kind of, we're all on a spectrum somewhere.
1: So do you think it's problematic that people label someone as a perfectionist?
3: I wouldn't say it's problematic you know it's a good shorthand way to de- I mean certainly in the book <laughs> you,
1: you have to <laughs>
3: it, yeah you, it's it's a, it's a shorthand way to describe somebody who is perfectionistic absolutely um so you know let uh, you, you can get really into the uh, into the semantics here and I think it's important that the, in the in broadly listeners remember that really this is a sliding scale right and and you know it is it's not how it's not really a a good way to think about it is not as okay i'm a perfectionist because that gives you something hard and fast a good way to think about it is that I, I, you know i have perfectionistic tendencies i seem to be trending quite high on this particular element of perfectionism so there's a recognition there that perhaps there are ways in which we can manage the more negative aspects of that those tendency.
1: okay how do you draw the conclusion that say our generation is more perfectionist or, or it's becoming more of an issue um with like saying well that's maybe the reason or that the reason we're more anxious is partly to do with that how do you
3: yeah i, I think there's definitely a generational piece to this and that's that was i mean the whole second part of my book really is trying to explore what's happening right now why are why levels of perfectionism increasing and you're absolutely right there you just hit down head social media is a big component of this um limitless images of like perfect lives and lifestyles beamed at us 24 seven of course it's going to have an impact but it isn't just social media right so there's other areas of life that are really excessively um, pressurized now the workplace very insecure people move from job to job never get a sense of routine or community because we have to keep moving we have to keep going we have to keep striving we have to grinding hustling and all the rest of it Uh, work the schools and education system right now is exception so so pressurized Mm -hmm um elite college admission um rates are down so it means that um it's, you know it's harder to get in those elite places than what it used to be um so that's got a that's got to put a lot of pressure on young people to do well all the time schools college and um, parenting practices are changing too because they see that pressure and they pass it down to their children in terms of excessive expectations which we're also seeing in the data so you know, there's all sorts of reasons right now why why pressures are, are really high on young people. There's an expectation that's not quite matching with reality in terms of what what they should have, where they should be in life. Um, and I think that's impacting not just on their perfectionism. You know, they're telling us, you know, everyone expects me to be perfect. Socially prescribed perfectionism is rising really quickly, and that's a, that's a, you know, that's completely not inevitable um, perception of the of the world right now because it is highly expectant. Um, but it's also uh, important for their well-being too because it does have an impact on their mood, their levels of anxiety. So it's kind uh, of necessary
1: a necessary evil
3: um I wouldn't say it's necessary like I, I think it's just a normal natural response to pressures out there in the w- bigger wider world. Okay. I think it, I think it's a collective responsibility actually for us to try to address these issues. Um, and understand why young people seem to be struggling, not just young people, everybody right now, why they seem to be struggling and do something about it. Because I do think it's, we call it in the book, an epidemic.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.
1: just not, not researching it in any great way, but you know, we've so much more awareness of mental health now. We're having so much more conversations about how we don't need to be perfect or how we're so hard on ourselves or imposter syndrome, all these different things. When you compare it to like the idea, especially in the workplace of like the eighties and nineties in like New York, where it was like, you worked yourself to the bone and that was your badge of honor. And, you know, if you weren't, I remember reading this book, if you have to cry, go outside and you couldn't be vulnerable and you had to just, just show up all the time. Do you think like the the rise in talking about mental health has kind of helped to stop it. Would it be so much worse if it weren't for that? Like I, I'm surprised that it's, I'm actually surprised that it's getting worse with the more we are talking about it and people being like cognizant of that.
3: And it's puzzling, isn't it? But it seems to be 2008 was a big watershed moment a lot of the data seems to converge around 2008 being a very significant year for young people where levels of happiness and well-being seem to plateau taper off and yeah, indices of mental health seem to rise and that includes by the way perfectionism Perfection really skyrockets after that year wow something happened something broke in 2008 and has never been repaired and that was essentially um growth economic growth has stagnated particularly in the uk um Young people for the last 20 years have never lived in an economy where wages have consistently risen. That's to say that their standard of living is deteriorated year on year on year. We live in an an, an economy where for the first time on record, young people will be worse off than their parents. They will have to work far harder for far longer just to have the same standard of living. They can't afford housing. They have to put off having families because they don't feel a sense of stability in their working lives and also in their material financial lives and that's different to the 80s you know the 80s were tough don't get me wrong and there were certainly many cultural issues around all sorts of areas um uh, particularly as you as you mentioned there a a reluctance to speak about mental health problems but at the same time people were working to the bone in an economy that was giving them something back when the economy did well they did well too they had access to housing they had a hangover from the social provisions of the post-war Uh, consensus and that's to say that you know labor protections unions they had they had things in their lives that gave them a safety net and allowed them to ascend that's to say move up the social hierarchy get themselves into things that we might consider the good life like a house a stable job have a family and all the rest of it things that we know are really healthy for our sense of purpose self-respect and 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 well-being Mm -hmm. so the the issues that we're seeing today. Are, are really issues of um an economy that's secularly slowing down and, and the expectations that are way out of whack with what is what is in, in in reality a really tough place to uh uh to to grow up into. And that's why I say it's a collective responsibility. You know, this is a this is an issue that we all need to grasp and understand how, how we can provide young people with a sense of purpose and optimism um, in a in a in a world that's not giving them much back. Uh, and I, and I think that if you want an answer to what's happening right now in terms of mental health, I think that's the broader, uh, I guess, more macro explanation.
1: Okay, you have a chapter in the book uh, called "Hustle is a six-letter word." Talk to me a bit about that.
3: Um, well, that's that's really about um, jobs uh, in the modern world. That's and about the insecuritization of of, of work and how work has become really a part of our identities um but not just work work in in terms of a lifestyle work in terms of something that we wear a bit like a perfection that we wear as a badge of honor you know this never used to be the case i work a bit in working class community my father and my grandfather were carpenters and they would never really wear their work as a badge of honor on their sleeve they just did every day. They made every day things to leave in the world for other people to use and appreciate. And that was their vocation. That was their purpose. Uh, and they did that with a very patient, humble determination. Um, it's very different to the way I would consider myself as a mo- worker in the modern workplace. And most people that I interact with where, you know, we wear, we're wearing it on our sleeve and we're worried all the time. We're apprehensive about how we're doing and whether we're doing enough and uh, whether we're hustling or grinding hard enough. And, um, you know, you speak to people, you hear this all the time, like, you know, um, fake it till you make it. This is very common, like, what you hear young people say. And this is just an expression of their perfectionism in the workplace, this apprehension that they aren't there on merit or they're not quite good enough and that everybody and all around them is going to notice. So they have to kind of fake this hyper-competency, this, you know, uh, productive, perfect worker whose hustles and grinds are stayed up late and all the rest of it. Um, just to, just to get by in the workplace. And I think that's really indicative of, of um, I would say an unhealthy relationship with work, a very perfectionistic relationship with work where um, our sense of self is inter- intertwined with the outcomes of our working lives.
1: So it sounds like, well, for one, it sounds like we're largely fucked <laughs> because it's so, <laughs> no, no. it's so driven into us and, it's you know like you say there's this scarcity and if we feel like we have to be perfect in order to like secure these things that so that we can provide for ourselves it's it's not something we can just say right well, i'm just going to wake up tomorrow and i'm no longer have perfectionist thinking um but it sounds like really first of all understanding it is key knowing where you fall maybe on the spectrum and also like talk to me about, I remember reading about like maladaptive versus adaptive perfectionism, because in some ways a, a perfectionism can't be a bad thing. Like people, you know, athleticism, athletes, that kind of thing, you know, it's, it, it's not always, um, it can't all be all bad. Right. Because then why, if it was so, if it was so bad for us, we would like surely have evolved to just like be way more chill.
3: <laughs> well, it, we are social creatures. And we are impacted profoundly by the by environmental factors outside of us. I give a, uh, an example in the book of Lance Armstrong, if you want a sporting context example, and his reasons for doping. You know, there's nothing hardwired about wanting to uh, enhance your oxygen levels in your blood through EPO, but he he was operating and competing in a context where every single person and all around him was doing that. And when you live inside a culture. You are so consumed by the absurdities of that culture that you scarcely recognize them as absurdities at all. But when you look closer, you can see that what we that, that what was happening in Lance's case was a arms race, which made no one athlete more likely to succeed. But nevertheless, every single athlete felt compelled to do it. Because if they didn't, then they would be excommunicated. They would be falling down through the peloton. They wouldn't be able to compete. And that's the same as what's happening right now in in broader culture. I don't think there's anything hardwired at all about uh, perfectionism. I think, I think it's something that's accentuated, amplified and celebrated in modern society. Certainly um, in order, you know, when you just look, just look around you, I mean, just look around you, social media, advertising. uh, It's, uh work as i mentioned uh schools colleges all the rest of it, everywhere and all around us expects overachievement exceptionalism perfection mm-hmm. and it's really difficult to uh not go with the herd when when everybody around you is behaving in, in this way is kind of um, pushing themselves well well beyond comfort so you know the data is clear about perfection. by the way in performance there is no link um so then it becomes curious as to why we think it's it's you know it's necessary for success. And the reason I think is because we see all around us this 0.1% you know the unicorn achievers, the people that made it through some brutal selection process. But what we don't see is underneath those celebrated winners, the people that aren't featured on the podcast or given a platform on television shows, these are people who have the same traits, the same perfectionistic tendencies, but without Olympic medal podium position uh, glittering book deal or whatever to show for it. And they're striving in significant discomfort with very little um, gain. And we have to be really careful about that selection effect. It's called survivor bias because uh, it can do us into thinking that perfectionism is what made, made these people rise to the top. But actually what happened there was, was their circumstances. They are in the right place at the right time. They had a lot of luck along the way. Yes, they worked hard, but um they just happen to meet the right people at the right time. If we're talking about athletics, they had the right genes. Mm. Some people are just born with, you know, a fantastic lung capacity, and they can mm-hmm. ride up hills ridiculously quickly, and that's just fate. And fate. So we have
1: different. a very, we have a very skewed perception of, I guess, giving perfectionism too much credit for the success that we see others have.
3: Yeah, uh, because everyone craves a life narrative, and of course, when you ask, "Well, how did you get to the top?" well I, I worked really hard and I and I had excessively high standards and I shot I shoot shoot for the stars and all the rest of it and they, I'm sure they did those things I am no doubt they did those things but they don't what they don't talk about is the stuff that was also important you know just happened know. to be born in the right place at the right time right like circumstances this is like- why
1: I have an issue with people talking about man like they just manifested their success I'm like okay fine like you know it's there's so much more to it like you're your position your privilege your background your experience you know your luck your of course your hard work as well and it's just sort of diminished to like oh so well that's probably the flip side of perfectionism that's just I just thought it and it happened and maybe that would be the antidote to perfectionism if we just like completely left it up to the universe um you talk in towards the end of the book about this post-perfectionist society which sounds just divine what does that look like to you and how do we get there?
3: Well, this is uh, this is more of a thought experiment than anything else. Uh, and one of the things I'm I'm getting feedback on for this version is um, I think people are taking this chapter a bit too literally, as if um, I genuinely think we can we can live in this kind of utopia. I don't think we can. But what I wanted people to do is think about it, think about what life would be like in a different kind of society, and whether we would need an, uh, as much perfectionism to get by. Because that helps us recognize to what extent this is this is a social construct. This is something that is is demanded upon us by the world around. So I talk about how, you know, well, what if we lived inside the recognized uh, human and planetary limits that didn't always have to grow at all times and forever, that sometimes, you know, there were certain industries that would grow that are very healthy, uh, certain industries that would decline that aren't very healthy. Um, and we live in a kind of sustainable, what's called a donut economy, uh, where, you know, growth isn't the be all and end all. What if we had uh, priorities other than goods and services? What if, it, you know, we wanted to make sure that prosperity was measured by human uh, wellness? So things like happiness, well-being, um life expectancy you know yeah. employment all the rest of it all these things are really important for human flourishing but we don't measure them as indexes of success in society that's that's gdp uh there are other things i talk about ubi putting a floor under deprivation um job sharing try working fewer hours maintaining certain levels of productivity which you've seen in the four hour work week using technology like ai to enhance our lives as to say free us from the drudgery of work and uh, allow us to spend more times in our communities um almost like an ai dividend that's shared with the people rather than um siphoned upwards but for shareholders mm-hmm. um also look you know there are many many things i discuss in that chapter but i think the, the main point i want to recognize uh, uh, underscore is that actually this is not a manifesto it's a full experiment mm-hmm. And if we yeah. can think about like a different society, then do we need as much perfectionism in that society? Now I think the answer would be no.
1: From what you're saying, it sounds to me like a huge part of the problem is like this globalization that we suddenly have access to like millions of other people's outfits and opinions and voices. Whereas maybe we had perfectionism when we were just in our tribe or our village, but I was only comparing myself to like Mary down the road. I wasn't comparing myself to like the, the elite in the world, which I do now. Do you think that like a post-perfectionist society kind of almost, we need to make our world smaller? like you mentioned community, they're going back there. Or is it more, is it more, well, do you think perfectionism would be more likely? Because we we can put a name to it if we know who Mary is. So like, I'm going to be more competitive. Whereas will I be less perfectionist in general? Because I'm like, okay, well, I'm not a Kardashian. So I'm not going to try and relate to her. Like which, which is the better scenario for perfectionism?
3: Well, it's, I mean, I'm a big advocate for community, spending time with people who we uh, love and um, working together for common causes that we think are really important or that interest us. Those are things that have been disconnected in our world through the advent of social media. And uh, this is what the loneliness epidemic, by the way, we have right now is is so rife is because we, we, we're constantly engaged online away from Uh, the outside world and i think reconnecting with those things is so so important and i think not only will that help us mentally but also um i think it will help us tremendously with perfectionism because like you said we're not comparing with impossible ideals people whose lives are many many thousands of miles away who we who who we have very little in in common with certainly um very little ability to reach what they have but because they're put on a pedestal because they're celebrated as the ideal then we go back into our own little lives we, and, and think that we, we're somehow inadequate. I mm-hmm. think it, reconnecting with our communities grounds us and teaches us actually what we have right now in this moment is enough. And th- that the only thing that matters, the only thing that can matter are those things, you know, f- you know being surrounded by people that we love, enjoying time in, our, in nature, in our communities. Those are the most important things. I, in my opinion, of life, and I think we, we we are disconnected from them in a global, uh, interconnected, technologically mediated world, and and that's definitely had an impact on perfectionism.
1: Mm-hmm. We talk about, and you talk about it in the book, um, you know, this need for more like self acceptance, and, um, I guess just reframing your your expectations and your standards, and and like the ways that we read about to let go of perfectionism or turn the volume down on it. But is there any research or data that shows what actually how successful that is, what happens when we do, or, or what, what is the best way to do that? And what does it look like when we do?
3: It is loads of evidence for things that are aligned to a sense of self acceptance, self acceptance being um, accepting ourselves for who we are in this moment right now. And that comes in various different forms, but I think the main one is uh, self self compassion, self kindness, and and you know if you say accept yourself, then you're able to see that you're not you know nobody's perfect, can never be made perfect, and so when things go wrong, we hit setbacks and we fail, so you're inevitably will from time to time, we we can recognise that that's just part of our common humanity. And that we can be kind to ourselves in those moments. We can tell ourselves that it's okay. It was always next time. We can treat ourselves like, I suppose, like you treat a friend. Um, And that self-kindness is like taking a sledgehammer to perfectionism. Because perfectionism will always tell you to go in on yourself, ask yourself how you could have been so stupid. Why did you um, make that mistake or do that thing wrong? And and so self-compassion is, I think, is a really important one. But I think also like reframing, recognizing how far we've come, recognizing our achievements, uh, up to this point you know everybody listening will have achieved so much in their lives but if we, all we're ever focused on is the next thing then that robs us of i suppose the satisfaction and pride in those achievements and i think sometimes it's good to take a step back look at the bigger picture particularly when we've hit a set coming a sort of coming a mistake say oh you know this has not ruined my life chances mm. i've come so far it's one setback of many um, and finally, having to to reframe in our minds that failure is very humanizing, it's not humiliating and living through that mantra not just in our own lives, but also in the way that we parent in the way that we uh, interact with our friends and in the the way that we mentor and teach. I think those things are really important
1: mm. just from something that's sticking out my mind there is is it possible to for perfectionism in a person to exist without the social component? you know, I'm just thinking of a a Kardashian episode that I watched recently where Kim was just, you know, she's so she's hot. She has it all. She couldn't possibly want to need anymore, but she's just so competitive with herself. And she's like, I need to just keep um, hitting these extra markers for myself. Like, it, but is that separate to a social thing? Because I don't really know who she could compare herself to socially when she's at that level. Um, is it always underpinned by a social comparison? Like, can you separate perfectionism and social comparison?
3: No, you can And there's always something in the mind of a perfectionist that can be done. This is the problem, actually, with perfectionism, because we have in our mind's eye, a, a, you know, a kind of if we can just reach this level of perfection and everything will be okay. But, that's the
1: trap then, is it? But, sorry? That's the trap
3: that you talk about. But the that's the trap. It's exactly the trap, because when we do meet, it, there's something more. There's somebody better, or there's something that we've seen on an advertisement or a TV screen that will give us a little bit extra. Always something. And uh, and so in that respect, perfectionism exposes our dreams as nothing more than a dead end. It's like trying to chase the horizon. The closer you get, the further it moves. <laughs> and and that's perfectionism in a nutshell. You know, you never will get there because you're not supposed to get there. Uh, it's, it's in relentless striving for no particular endpoint. And that's the most exhausting, draining, and difficult thing about perfectionism. Why it makes it so problematic psychologically? Because there's never any room to uh, um, savor. Our accomplishments or feel a sense of pride in what we have achieved um and interestingly you bring up the Kardashians there because even people who we see in our lives and we hold up on a pedestal as people who live these kind of perfect luxurious lives even they in fact especially they are trapped in this um uh, hall of mirrors of limitless perfection that can never ever ever be met and um yeah, I, I would encourage all of us and all of, all of our listeners. And the reason why I wrote the book is to try to recognise that that's that's the root, that's the problem, mm-hmm. and it's it's really important to to step off that treadmill and try mm-hmm. to search for acceptance and um, and contentment instead.
1: I have to ask you because you did a TED talk, which to me would seem like the most high <laughs> pressured environment to come in and share in a very. Uh, polished way all your thoughts and ideas how did you make sure perfectionism didn't get in the way of your prep there and how did you feel that you did you did very well like obviously it goes without saying but how you know having had this background and done this research and then you put yourself in a, in a situation that for a lot of people demands perfectionism how was that for you
3: uh terrifying and I'm—I consider myself an perfectionistic person, and certainly back then. I mean, I feel like I, I would manage the situation better now. But I was quite young. I was still in my twenties, late twenties, and um, it's daunting. It's crazy. And then you go to the U.S., and the U.S. is like like nothing. Like the U.K. is very different to the U.S. in many many ways, and one of them is like these events. Because if you give a talk in the U.K., you just kind of pushed on stage and told away you go. But in the U.S., you got a speech coach, you got a body language coach. Uh, you've got a green room before you go on where everybody's pumping you up and you know as a perfectionist as a, and an introvert i just want to be left alone
0: <laughs>
3: just let me go through my mind the hundred ways i can screw up this talk before uh, i go on stage and that's really i suppose the most terrifying thing and it, it, look you know i overthought it i worked way too hard on it but I, but i didn't screw up right and and i suppose for the perfectionist like that's the relief when you get off the stage, you are like, oh, thank goodness. Like, you don't feel like you've achieved something. Like, oh my God, you've just stood on stage in front of all those people and then recited their 15 minutes. It's amazing. You just feel relieved that you didn't screw it up. And that's, that's like, that's the, that was very much me. And then in the months and week uh, weeks and months that followed, I would worry because you can't see it back. That's the other difficult thing. Oh, like you, no. And you can't do a check on it. So you don't know, like, if you made a mistake or not. And I thought I missed a line and I was ruminating about um so yeah like these things are, are really really tough but that was uh, there's a lesson there too because just putting myself out there was a really brave thing to do and it teaches you a lot about yourself it teaches you a lot about this kind of idealized image that you hold up in your mind and, and that you actually really you're living in fear of that person and that's holding you back in many ways so putting yourself out there so so important and it helps break through those perfectionistic tendencies Um so, yes, it was difficult, but it was also very, very helpful for me too.
1: So you can just for I'm thinking about the listener now t- for something to take away, you know, obviously you can work on your self-talk going into something like whether, OK, this project has to be perfect. OK, we can't control the outcome, but maybe you can work on your perfectionism uh, sort of retrofit it after when so- you've done something, then that's your chance to say, well, like, let's look at how, it, how what we did do and what did work um what would you want to leave the listener with as something that they can maybe put into action if they're really feeling weighed down by perfectionist thinking
3: well the biggest one there is you don't have to it doesn't first of all it doesn't have to be perfect but it doesn't have to be like you don't have to be world champion at something or excellent at something to put yourself out there and do it and this is what holds back perfectionist people all the time they feel like they're not good at it or they're not really good at it and therefore in 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 trying to stop themselves from failing because they feel like they're not good enough, they will self-sabotage their chances of success. This happens all the time. So I would say put yourself out there. If you if you, if you don't feel you're very good at public speaking, then put your hand up for a talk and just feel the discomfort. Go through the anxiety that's going to engender. At least for a little while, just allow it in. Don't try and suppress it. And do it anyway. Feel the fear, do it anyway. Because this is putting yourself out there, doing something that you think you're not world champion at, is so so important it's so so important and yes you might not do it well and it may you know be uh not very well received or whatever that's that might happen but it's okay because in that moment you learn a lot about what you uh uh, what you could do better uh how you can improve but also you find out that the impact of that those bad bad performance or whatever it might be is not as catastrophic as you thought it was going into it it really helps helps clarify. yeah it helps just clarify and and break down some of those anxieties. And the more you can do that, you know, little steps, put yeah, little steps out of your comfort zone. Little by little. The more you can do it, the easier it becomes and the better you get. And and so perfectionists do hold themselves back a lot. They do avoid situations where they feel like they're going to be judged. It's natural. It's understandable. but I'd, I'd, I'd highly recommend the listeners to try, if you can, to realize that you don't have to be world champion at everything. Some things you're going to, only going to be good at and some things you're not going to be very good at, but that's also okay. It's The most important thing is to put yourself out there. Feel that fear and do it
1: anyway. Amazing. And the book is widely available now. Is it out already?
3: Uh, it is out already. It's out in the UK and in the US. So, um, if you google the perfection trap uh it will come up in most search engines um so yeah please do grab a copy i'd love to know what listeners think so do also think
1: absolutely well i'll put a link in the show notes and encourage people to um get buying. Tom thank you so much for your expertise and for answering all my questions even though there was one too many mentions of the Kardashians I know my listeners will (laughs) understand (laughs) Um, but it's great to put it into a context to take something kind of that can be quite academic sounding and distill it into something that people can um digest so thank you for for everything and best of luck with the book
3: thanks Caroline great to talk